0: This program's about the impossible. There's a good chance that you believe in the impossible. In 1967, Dr. George Wald won the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. Dr. Wald said, When it comes to the origin of life, there are two possibilities, creation or spontaneous generation. There is no third way. Spontaneous generation was disproved 100 years ago. But that led us to only one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. We cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose spontaneously by chance. This Nobel Prize-winning scientist rejected the science that God had to be the creator of life. The only possible explanation For you. Me, I'm a Christian because I don't believe in the impossible. Stay tuned and let's explore the universe as it really is. I'm Paul and this is CYKIAE. The biggest issues of badly affecting children's rights have been same-sex marriage and science. Science in many forms, some not yet arrived, although they're being talked about, like artificial wombs for men. The science topics will be talked about in future programs. This program's about the love-is-love movement around the world that ushered in what is labelled same-sex marriage picking up on the Christian word marriage that had previously uniformly meant the union for life of one man and one woman. Like no-fault divorce, our governments around the Western world rapidly and totally remodelled the institution of marriage that had existed for thousands of years without ever really asking why it was structured the way it was and as a consequence have destroyed and are continuing to destroy children's rights. This takes me back to what J.K. Chesterton said in Part 7 of this series. If you're a properly intelligent human being, you don't pull down a gate without knowing what it's there for. With these two changes, we pull down the very cornerstones of our society without knowing what we were doing would mean. The core proposition of this program is that it is the right of every child on Earth to grow up with their biological mother and father. This is what Article 20 of the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child says. Australia and every other country on earth, except for the United States, are signatories. And all that convention does is what all of the science studying the effect of these radical changes on children shows is absolutely essential for a well-developed child, their biological mother and father. There is some poorly conducted research that suggests otherwise. So let's look at the love is love gate that was pulled down and what came down with it. As Louise Perry and Katie Faust in each of their books make clear, traditional marriage was a way to get men to stick around and be involved in bringing up their children. Glenn Scrivener, Anglican minister, in his interview with the former Australian Prime Minister John Anderson said this about the sexual revolution which started to undermine the truth with at best fantasies and worst lies now we've also
1: got this other sexual revolution of the 1960s and in a sense if the first sexual revolution said that men must be as restricted as women have always been through the technology of contraception the the 1960s say well women can be as liberated as men have always been um, but a lot of feminists, such as Louise Perry, are pointing out that this is not for the good of society in general, and it's not for the good of women even. And so she's written this this uh, fantastic book that's also a bit of a gut punch called the 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 Case Against the Sexual Revolution, and and she talks about the the costs of taking male sexuality and making the whole world again dance to the tune. Of male sexuality, which is which is how she characterizes the, the sexual revolution of the of the nineteen sixties. And I, I think what we see is um breakdown of family and, and the, the the bursting apart of sex and marriage and sex and pregnancy and pregnancy and children and children and family, and these things have just been absolutely cast adrift from one another. And the consequences in in, in our culture are just
0: vast. Katie Faust talks about the reason for marriage and the very imbalanced role of the sexes in that process. She bluntly says, in contrast to the gestating, birthing, and child-rearing that biology demands of women, sexual congress goes pretty easy on men by requiring, on average, only a five-minute contribution. The sexual revolution liberated men from the societal pressure that used to hold them accountable when that five minutes of pleasure resulted in a baby Now sticking around is optional for men, so oftentimes they don't. As a result, mother, child, and all of society pay the price for his absence. Marriage is the solution every culture and religion throughout history has used to legally require a father's presence from conception through adulthood. As recently as 1996, the federal government recognized its role in marriage by passing the Defense of Marriage Act, DOMA, signed into law by President Clinton after it passed both houses of Congress with veto-proof majorities. Doma was not intended to address the emotional attachments of adults in relationships. Its sole purpose was the protection of children, which can only result from a heterosexual union, using the only levers at its disposal, tax status and benefits, Duma made government's role in marriage clear. At bottom, civil society has an interest in maintaining and protecting the institution of heterosexual marriage because it has a deep and abiding interest in encouraging, responsible procreation and child-rearing. Simply put, government has an interest in marriage because it has an interest in children. Louise Perry, in her book The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, told the same story. I covered what she had to say in detail in part 14 of the series, but here's the key part of what she said, recorded in an interview with John Anderson about marriage.
2: We've talked already about the the ways in which monogamy produces good outcomes for women. Um, It's really bad for women to be in a polygynous society where they end up living as co-wives in often very fractious households with a lot of domestic violence, a lot of child abuse. At the same time, look for people who don't have children. I don't think marriage serves much of a purpose, really. It might be, it might be a way of expressing your love for one another. It might be a sort of cherry on life's cake, but it probably doesn't really serve that much of a purpose. Um, I think that the, the purpose of marriage makes sense when you think about the vulnerability of the mother and baby because the nature of, of, of pregnancy and having a small baby is that you're really vulnerable. You can't care for your, you, you, you cannot um, participate in the labor market as you otherwise could. You need the care of at least one other adult in order to survive the pair of you. I'm particularly thinking about really sort of um, cultures of much greater privation than ours. To some extent, what feminists, um, what many feminists have tried to do is to try and replace the husband with the state. To say that, well, if the state provides universal daycare, if the state provides um, money for mothers, um, you know, all the various things that states can potentially do, then you don't need a husband anymore because the state's your backup husband, you know. Um, And so we can do away with marriage and there's no need for it. The problem is I uh, think the state is very good at doing that. And what most women actually want is not to have state actors stepping in and doing the husband's role or doing or doing the mother's role. Um, but is it is what that what women want because of this intense biological connection that women have with their children, is to be with their children, but to also be supported by other adults. And look, there are there are Countless examples of men performing that role terribly and being abusive and being exploitative and all all the various ways in which human beings can be terrible to one another. Having said that, I don't think we've yet come up with a better system than the marriage system, particularly the monogamous marriage system for supporting mothers and children. All of the various experiments with communal living or with fully socializing the family or whatever that have been attempted, all of them have ultimately failed, resulted in worse outcomes. And so if we are choosing, if we're not trying to cook up some utopian alternative that's never been tried and likely never will be, if we're, if we're looking at the options available to us that history actually presents to us, the one that seems to have the fewest costs is the monogamous marriage system, which I know doesn't sound very romantic. But if it just on a purely kind of data-driven Basis. I think there's a really strong argument for it.
0: Christians and atheists agree that monogamous marriage of both biological parents is good, very good, for children. But the DOMA legislation to encourage heterosexual marriage came undone when in 2013 the US Supreme Court found that Section 3 of the Defense of Marriage Act was unconstitutional. That view was followed soon after by the judgment in Obergefell v. Hodges in 2015, which totally brought down the spirit of Doma when it found that state laws that defined marriage as the union of one man and one woman was illegal. Australia had its referendum on same-sex marriage in November 2017, soon after laws were passed legalising homosexual marriage. The word marriage doesn't work when you're talking about marriage in the very specific way that I am, as being an institution in the context of the traditional family of a biological mother, father and the child from their union. But it turns out that our governments lack no imagination in trying to make it fit. But whatever our laws may say, biology and science trump them. The biology and science is that Children are the natural product of a sexual relationship between a man and a woman. Both a father and a mother are necessary and important for children, and marriage between one man and one woman is the best way to promote healthy families. In the eight years after the DOMA legislation was declared to be invalid in America, out-of-wedlock births have continued to rise, marriage rates have been falling, and the unique contributions of mothers and fathers in raising children are being ignored in the name of tolerance and inclusivity. Legislation can't change the nature of human reproduction, but it can encourage behaviour. And today, the need to incentivise men to commit to the mother of their children is more pressing than ever. It was a pity that the Doma legislation died. Katie Faust says, Making babies is a natural result of male-female Congress, and most heterosexual marriages produce children. The number of same-sex marriages that produce children is zero, not because of the sexual orientation of those in the marriage, but entirely because of their biological sex. That is to say, how adults identify has nothing to do with marriage and parenthood. A lesbian and a gay man are perfectly capable of producing a child together. A couple of heterosexual men cannot. When it comes to children, gay and straight marriages are not equal. The definition of marriage should be the union of a male and a female, because only a male and a female can become a mother and a father. Unfortunately, the legalization of gay marriage has essentially acted as a gag order on speaking obvious truths. And same-sex marriage has also led to other problems about bringing children into this world, which I'll talk about in a later program. The legalization of same-sex marriage has led to the serious undermining of children's rights to their mother and father, something that the UN Declaration on the Rights of Children seems to recognise as being vitally important. Legalising homosexual marriage has translated into children being denied the right to their biological mother and father. As I said, how that works will be discussed in later programs. Ironically, it took homosexual marriage to put the spotlight on marriage's most important purpose. Redefining marriage to accommodate same-sex marriage has meant that the definition of parenthood has been changed too. Along with husbands and wives being optional in marriages, mothers and fathers have become legally optional as well. Here's how homosexual marriages have taken away the fundamental right of a child to its mother and father in different countries. Taiwan in 2019 legalized same-sex marriage. Rick Glowett of the Reuters news service on 22 December 2019 published an article called Taiwan emerges as new market for LGBT plus surrogacy after gay marriage law. By the end of that year, he reports numerous US-based fertility clinics were doing business there finding women willing to act as surrogates for what would become motherless children commissioned by male couples. In March 2017 in Finland, the first homosexual marriages took place. That same year, the Maternity Act was amended to apply to same-sex couples to allow the female partner of a biological mother to declare herself a parent on a child's birth certificate the identity of the biological father, has been erased. In 2015, Ireland allowed same-sex marriages. That happened after the Children and Family Relationships Act had been amended to modernise parent-child relationships, the Ireland Department of Justice and Equality said. The law now effectively gives no recognition at all to the uniqueness of the mother-father-child bond, Instead, it allows parenthood on the non-biological test of intent. It's now illegal to give preference in Ireland to a male-female couple in the event of an in vitro fertilization or adoption. This allows children to be created, denying them their biological father or mother or both. That is an outrage. In 2005, Canada legalized same-sex marriage. At the same time, it redefined parenthood in a weird way that frighteningly totally ignores the rights of children. Elizabeth Markard of the Institute of American Values in an article entitled The Revolution in Parenthood, The Emerging Global Clash Between Adult Rights and Children's Needs. And she said... In Canada, with virtually no debate, the controversial law that brought about same-sex marriage also erased the term natural parent across the board. In federal law, replacing it with the term legal parent, the significance of this is that the law transfers the biological fact of who a child's parents are to the state. With that law, the focus of power in defining who a child's parents are shifts precipitously from civil society to the state, with consequences as yet unknown. In 2016, Canada enacted the All Families Are Equal Act, which defined parenthood as a contractual relationship between up to four, not one, not two, not three, but four adult parents, with the children legally identified as theirs. Spain legalized same-sex marriage in 2005. In 2006, it erased the words mother and father from birth certificates. The Telegraph, in an article entitled "How's Your Progenitor A, reported that the Spanish Minister of Justice explained that because the government had modified the status of civil marriages to allow the union of same-sex couples, It was necessary for a new format for the family book Libro de Familia and one that used such terms as progenitor A and progenitor B instead of mother and father. That is a fantastic improvement. After the Obergefell case in America that recognized same-sex marriages, there are now no longer any governmental bodies that recognize that children should have a father and mother. In the 2017 case of Pavan and Smith, the United States Supreme Court found that an Arkansas statute that listed only the birth mother on the birth certificate and not that woman's female spouse was inconsistent with the Supreme Court's decision in Obergefell and Hodges. This shows you that love wasn't just love, as Australians were told when we had the debate over same-sex marriages. We were told that nothing would change. Same thing in America, when the lawyers for Obergefell, in their submissions to the court, told it that marriage had nothing to do with children. Of course, the lawyers for Pavan argued the exact opposite, that marriage had everything to do with children. Lucky that you only have to tell one version of the story at one time. Jeff Schaefer of the Alliance Defending Freedom in an article entitled Obergefell and the Right to Other People's Children commented of the lawyer's argument in the Pavan case, advocates of marriage redefinition borrowed from the institution they just assassinated to make their case. They demanded de-sexed parentage upon demand for an individual adult who lays claim to somebody else's child as a means of bolstering the naturally bereft, though artificially legal, status of same-sex spouse. So the lawyers in the Pavan case argued that the state was required to accomplish what biology makes impossible, making two adults of the same sex the parent of a child. The woman in that case prevailed, and moving forward, a woman's female spouse could then be listed as a parent, on the birth certificate of her partner, regardless of the fact that she has no biological relationship to the child at all. Jeff Schaefer in his earlier article commented incisively, it's a strange sort of lying when the state issues a birth certificate that declares a child has two mothers and no father. These sorts of changes are going on worldwide. Parenthood law is eradicating the terms mother and father in the interests of non discrimination, which is diametrically opposed to the interests, not to say rights, of the child and is discriminatory to the biological parents who don't matter. In 2019, the state of Virginia passed House Bill 1979, legalising surrogacy. The bill states that embryos, let's be honest, they're humans, are items that can be owned. Katie Faust in her book grimly comments that this is the first time since 1860 that a law of Virginia designated a group of people as property. In her book Then Before Us, she writes that from the beginning of time all across the world, children have suffered the tragic loss of their mother or father. We once universally recognized... Such a tragedy as something to be avoided at all costs. Now, for the first time in history, advanced nations are endorsing and incentivizing motherlessness and fatherlessness in the name of progress. That's not just tragic, it's unjust. Whether or not the law affirms children's rights to their parents, it's impossible to legislate away a child's longing for his or her mother and father. Naturally, kids will always wonder about their missing mother and yearn for their absent father, even when the law states they have no right to them. The cruelty to children lies in the conflict between the state-sanctioned definition of family and a child's natural longings. When law conflicts with children's natural rights, it sends children the message that their natural, normal yearning for their missing parent is wrong, not the law itself. What is it like for a child of a same-sex couple? Heather Barwick, former gay marriage activist, turned children's rights activist, shared her own experience with fatherlessness. I grew up surrounded by women who said they didn't need or want a man, yet as a little girl I so desperately wanted a daddy. It is a strange and confusing thing to walk around with this deep-down unquenchable ache for a father for a man in a community that says that men are unnecessary. There were times I felt so angry with my dad for not being there for me, and then times I felt angry with myself for even wanting a father to begin with. Heather was raised by two mums in a lesbian-centric world. She didn't come up with the idea that she should have a father because of societal pressure. No one in her world ever suggested she needed one. Her experience was the opposite. She says that she was repeatedly told how lucky she was to have two mums who loved her. Love is love, right? No matter the constant love is all you need messaging, Heather yearned for a father anyway, in a world where cruelly no one validated her very natural human longing. Heather thought she was crazy for wanting a father. Millie, a donor-conceived atheist raised by two mums, also felt guilty for wanting her father. As a child, she experienced such intense psychological distress that her mothers sent her to a therapist who determined that Millie's emotional turmoil stemmed from a father hunger and insisted that Millie be allowed to meet her dad. She described finally meeting her father when she was 11 years old.
3: Meeting my father at 11 years old was probably... The only time I had been a stable child. I saw for the very first time who I was. I looked into his eyes and I thought, that is the missing part of me. Not because I'd fantasized about having a father, but because I could put a face to who I was. So I could look at somebody who was equally responsible for my existence. I could affirm my identity based on this man. And if I had not met my father, I would, be, I would not be standing here with you today because my emotional reaction to not having him in my life, even at such a young age, was devastating and it caused me to regress in my development.
0: Speaking against the accepted narrative that love is love and all a child needs is love didn't answer Millie Fontana's concerns. As she explained, it was only Christians, of which she was not one, who were prepared to listen to her and help her. Because today, you're punished if you dare to speak against the narrative. That's what Christians expect. After all, Jesus told his disciples in John fifteen eighteen to 20 If the world hates you... Be aware that it hated me before it hated you. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own, because you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you.
3: I stand here before you, raised atheist, with no religious affiliations. I stand with Christians, because so far in this debate, Christians are the only people trying to reflect the issues that follow with children. Christians, so far, are the only people trying to shine light on stories like mine. Nobody in the LGBT lobby wants to hear from someone like me. Because so far, love is love, right? We don't exist.
0: (laughs) Millie's mother, like many in the pro-homosexual marriage camp, wanted to blame society for her daughter's distress. Her biological mother asked Millie if her issues over not having a father would have been avoided if her mums had been legally able to get married at the time. Millie responded.
3: My mother pitched a question to me the other week. She said to me, Millie, what if my partner and I were able to be married? What if we had that stable Household environment that everybody else has and I answered the question very simply. It was basically Answered with another question which would have been how would psychologists Have treated me for my underlying issues of fatherlessness if to acknowledge fatherlessness was a form of discrimination How would any physician under threat of legal action? Have treated me under that circumstance. It was met with silence.
0: Katie Faust's own mother lived with a woman. She also kept in touch with both of her biological parents though. She said, neither Heather nor Millie nor I believe that gay men and lesbians are incapable of being good parents. My mother provided an exceptional example of how to be a mother, and I credit her with teaching me my best mothering skills. What I am saying is neither my mother nor her partner could have been a father to me. Obergefell and Hudges made it possible for my mom and her partner to marry if they so chose, and at the same time, in effect, it destroyed the right I had to both my father and my mother. Our Supreme Court has essentially ruled that both my parents were not crucial to my health, development, and identity. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Both my parents were vital to my development, as both mother and father are to all children. Kids with same-sex parents must now make sense of their mother or father hunger absent any legal authority. Our governments in the West have abandoned their responsibility to children's well-being by making laws that conflict with children's deepest longing to have a family comprised of both their mother and father. Legalizing gay marriage is basically a nationwide gaslighting of kids with same-sex parents. Intent-based parenthood. What could go wrong? That's for the next program. Thanks for listening into to this program, CYKIAE. If you missed it, you can catch up with it as a podcast on my CYKIAE, Spotify, Apple, Google, and many other podcast sites. Just look at my program details on Can's FM 89.1 for clickable links. I'm Paul. Don't miss my next program because you're going to love it. I want to thank my ghostwriter, without whom this program would definitely not have been possible, the Holy Spirit. Maybe you could catch up with me at my church, the Gafcon Northern Hope Anglican Church at the Peace Lutheran College off Cowley Street, Camarunga. Just follow the signs some Sunday at 9am. If you liked this program, you should definitely listen in to my other explosive program, The Danger Zone, also available as a podcast on those same sites. Search Danger Zone, bracket DZ, close brackets.